<clears throat> Harry Randall Truman, not Harry S. Truman, Harry Randall Truman, uh, never wanted to be a hero. That wasn't his plan. He was a bootlegger. He was a businessman. He was a prospector, but he didn't want to be a hero. He just became one. Sometimes that's what life does. In the 80s, in the early 80s, late 70s, uh, the media all flocked around his little lodge on Spirit Lake because he was being urged to leave. People were telling him it wasn't a safe place to be. And he said, I'm not leaving Spirit Lake. He said, my wife and I made a vow to never leave Spirit Lake. He said, this place is where my life is. This place is my life. I'm part of that mountain, and I'm not leaving. And on May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted with 540 tons, 40 million tons of ash and untold tons of mud and earth and rock and trees came sliding down that mountain onto Spirit Lake and onto Harry. And he lost everything. He lost his identity. He lost uh, the thing that he had poured his life into. And he lost his life. It was all snuffed out in one moment. Today, we are studying a man named King Belshazzar. And King Belshazzar also refused to do anything to protect himself. He also refused to leave his home. He was confident that he, his home could not be shaken. And he had reason to be confident. He was probably the grandfather, grandson or great-grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know exactly. They just kind of call everyone father, and so we don't know precisely. But we know that he was the fourth king after Nebuchadnezzar, and altogether they hadn't lived very long. And he was surrounded, his nation, his kingdom was surrounded by the Medes and the Persians. But he didn't care because King Nebuchadnezzar had set up the, the wall so that his security could not be shaken. He had a wall around his palace. He had a wall around his city. And he built, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had built an outer wall that was more than 30 feet thick, 90 feet tall. Could not be, could not be scaled could not be broken. And the Medes and Persians have been sieging this city, we think, for two to three years, but they couldn't do anything because the Euphrates River ran under that wall. So they had their own gardens. They had their own uh, vineyards. There was no need, there was no possibility they could run out of food. And Belshazzar was so sure that he was secure that he threw a party. He threw a party to show everybody, let's drink the wine, let's eat. We're not worried. And he had a very strange visitor show up at that party. And that night, his life was required of him. Let's stand as we read from God's holy word. Now, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. 
They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a gold chain around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but could not read the writing or make known the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. And so his wife came to him and said, Don't be alarmed. There's one in this kingdom who is the interpreter of dreams. We can trust him. And so they go and they get Daniel. And Daniel says, King Belshazzar, your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, was an arrogant and proud man, but he repented when the Lord humbled him. However, you have not repented. And so he read the writing. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, that your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then King Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, even of kings, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. Our time is short, and the Bible calls us to invest in a kingdom that cannot be taken away. Our time is short, and God... God's Word tells us to invest ourselves and our life into a kingdom that cannot be shaken nor taken away. Uh, I want to talk about this writing on the wall. There's a lot in the story to talk about, but I really want to focus in on that. And the first thing that was written was many, many. And it uh, meant your time, Daniel interpreted that to mean your time is running out. Your days are numbered. Your time is short. When Daniel comes in, it's funny. Belshazzar is, is, is scared. He's terrified. We've told, twice been told that the blood is drained from his face and his color's changed. And his, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling when your legs just won't stand up anymore. I get that nowadays when I go on heights. I go on ropes courses. And I'm supposed to, you know, I've got these metal, you know, wires that would hold up a car. I know I can't fall. And all I have to do is walk from here to there on a wire, and I, mean, I just I can't do it. And that's, that's what Belshazzar was doing. He couldn't support his weight. He was terrified. And he wanted to know what these words said and what he should do. But Daniel makes him wait. <laughs> and he preaches a sermon. And he says, I knew Nebuchadnezzar. You, sir, are no Nebuchadnezzar. 
He said, Nebuchadnezzar was an arrogant, evil man. But the Lord humbled him and made him to live like an animal. And when his senses were restored to him, he repented and became a humble man and gave glory to God. He set the path in front of you, Belshazzar, that you should walk. But you did not walk it. In your great arrogance, you've brought, you've brought the instruments, the, the vessels from the temple of Yahweh and drank wine out of them. Your time is running out. Your time is running out. Have you ever heard uh, the, day, the saying, your days are numbered? They are. The Bible says that. Job 14 says God has set uh, limits for us all. No one will surpass them. Uh, for, for, uh, Psalm 139 says God has numbered our days and written them in his book. You have a number. We don't know the number. I always thought it would be fascinating to write a short story about whenever a child is born, there's a clock, kind of a countdown clock. And, you know, would you want to know? Would you hide your clock? I don't know. Uh, But our days are numbered. And as slow as time seems to be, there will be a day when you look back and you say it was too short. It was too short. I uh, had the privilege to go see John Mellencamp back before... Uh, back before uh, COVID. It was the last concert I got to see. And I guess if you were born in a small town and you were raised in a small town and uh, you're still hayseed to say, uh, look who's in the big town, then seeing, seeing John Mellencamp is kind of a life-changing moment. And he tells the story every concert of uh, when he was a little boy. He was his, his grandmother's oldest grandson and his favorite, her favorite grandson. And, and uh, he would often be called for, and he would spend a lot of time with her as she was dying. As she was getting very old, she would, it was actually his great-grandmother, she would lay in the bed, and, and he would get up in the feather bed with her, and she would pray. And she'd pray out loud because she was in pain and she was dying and, and, and she wanted it to end. And she one night time said, said, Lord, if you're not going to relieve this pain, just come take me now. Me and Sonny, we're both ready. Just take us both. And Melanie said, whoa, Grandma, <laughs> I ain't ready to go. And she looked at him and she said, Sonny, life is short even on your longest days. Life is short, even on your longest days. And and we still live this life. We still live this life waiting, believing that life will go on forever. Uh, Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort each other while it is still called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what sin is telling us? You know what the deceit of sin is in this case? There's no hurry. There's just no hurry. You don't have to do it today. You don't have to do anything today. And so we put it off. Um, Back in the 90s, there was a country band named Diamond Rio. I don't know if they still exist. They may still exist. Country bands don't seem to ever go away. Um, And they had a song called In a Week or Two. Does anybody remember that? In a week or two, I was going to buy you flowers. He just can't understand why she would leave him now. I mean, I was going to fix everything in a week or two. In a week or two, I'll, uh, I was going to bring you a long string of pearls. 
in a week or just if you could have just waited a week or two, I would have made it up. And that week or two had drug out over years, hadn't it? And and I want to ask you, not so much worried about death, uh, maybe death, but just what in your life are you putting off for a week or two? Is there a sin in your life that you're going to deal with in a week or two? Is there something you need to confess to a close friend or a family member that if you confessed it, you know the Lord would deal with it and you begin to heal from it? And you're going to confess that in a week or two. Is there, a, is there a change in your life that you're going to make in a week or two? Are you going to start having family devotionals with your kids in a week or two? Are you going to have that conversation with your teenagers that you've been putting off in a week or two? Is there somebody that you don't even remember, you've been at odds with for so long, you don't even remember who sinned against whom, you don't even know if it's your job to forgive or your job to repent, probably both. And you're going to do that. You, you really know you need to have that conversation. You need to reconcile, and you're going to in a week or two. What are you putting off? You don't believe it, but your time is running out. Maybe they're going to move. Maybe it's going to be too late. But your time is always ticking. Uh, there was a movie, I refer to this uh, in weddings sometimes. There's a movie called The Paper. And it's about, it's got Michael Keaton and Marissa Tomei. And Michael Keaton's the editor of this big newspaper in New York. And, and he's always running around. He's always working. He's always working. And she's pregnant. She's about to have a baby. And, uh, it's not even clear that he's going to be in the hospital when she's having the baby because he's working so hard. And she stops him at one point and she says, let me give you a hypothetical. They're doing this all through the movie. Hypothetical. Hypothetical. Someone puts a gun to my head and says, I'm either going to blow up your office or blow your wife's brains out. Which do you choose? And, she, and he says, that's stupid. Nobody's ever going to do that. And she said, exactly. Nobody's ever going to do that. You're never going to have that one big choice to make between work and me. But every day you're making a million little choices. Every day you're making a million little choices choosing work over me until our marriage is over. The clock is ticking. It's always ticking. Life is short, even on your longest days. And that's not where the story ends. Tackle. Tackle is the word for scales or the... Uh, and it, and it says, and Daniel says, this means you've been weighed and found wanting. Now, God, when he speaks to us, speaks to us in terms that we understand. And so this was a term that, that uh, Belshazzar would understand. Just like if he were to appear today and, and speak to us, he'd say, your bank account's short. You know, the, the debt's been called and you don't have the savings for it. And he says to Belshazzar, you're, you've been weighed and found wanting, and that's something that he would have understood because uh, all ancient Near, uh, ancient Near Eastern mythology was kind of based in Egyptian mythology. And, uh, and what they believed was that at your death, uh, the god Anubis and, um, Anubis and Osiris would come to you, and they would take your heart, and they would put it on the scales. And on the scales, on one side would be your heart, and on the other side would be a feather. And a clean heart, a righteous heart in their mythology was light. 
you know that phrase, uh, my conscience was lighter than a feather? That's kind of, may, this may be where it came from, but if your heart was lighter than a feather, that meant there was no sin in it, there was no covetousness in it, there were no lies in it, and you would be allowed to, to roam freely through the land of, uh, the, the green land of the under, afterlife. But if your heart was heavy, if it was weighed down with sin, then you would be uh, condemned to die. You, if you have the Disney Channel, you may have seen that. It's in uh, this, the, the newest Marvel flick is uh, Moon Knight, and it's all based on that same mythology. You know, the guy has the scale tattoo, and he holds people's hands, and he says, you are a good person, or you are going to do evil, and then they die immediately. Um, I don't think I'd hold the guy's hands. Um, but, you know, that's not, that, that's mythology, but it's not that far off from, from the truth. I mean, Romans 2 says at the end, God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will receive wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Paul then in Galatians says, don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. If he sows to the flesh, he'll reap fleshly judgment. If he sows to the Spirit, he'll reap the fruit of the Spirit. And that's not necessarily changed by the gospel. What is changed is this. If you bring your sins to Jesus, if you are covered by him, then, then he, he, uh, he addresses both sides of the scales. The, the judgment that comes weighing down, he, he stood up under that judgment for us. And the side that has our heart on it, on this case, the good, the good deeds, he puts his finger on that side of the scale and puts all his weight on it. And, and that's, that's not our hope. Our hope is not that we could be good enough. Our hope is that Jesus was good for us. And he gives himself to us to receive our punishment. Uh, and so the question then for us is, what are we waiting on? Today is the day to repent. I love there's a, a story in... Um, book called Stepping Heavenward. It was a real popular book for girls back in the 80s. I don't know why people would quit reading it, but it was uh, a story of Elizabeth Prentice who wrote, um, wrote some of our best hymns, and uh, she had a cousin come live with her, and her cousin, uh, as she learned the gospel, she began to confess, and and she confessed her doubts and her unbelief and her evil thoughts and her, her anger toward God because she was a widow. And, and she says to her cousin Elizabeth, is there any way that I could be a true Christian and have those thoughts? She was doubting her salvation. And Elizabeth said, that's an irrelevant question. Today is the day of salvation. Don't worry about the past. Believe today. Believe today. And that's the beauty. It's never too late for us to repent. It's never uh, too late for us to forgive someone else. It's never too late for us to reconcile as long as it's today. 
if we woke up this morning on a day that is today, then today is the day to do those things. Your time is running out and you've been weighed and and found wanting. And therefore, for Belshazzar, your kingdom will be taken away from you. Your kingdom will be taken away. How can it be taken away? i got three walls protecting me. Belshazzar was confident. And his confidence was based on something that seemed pretty sound. What he didn't know is while those Medes and Persians had been out there, they had been digging. And they diverted the river. And when the river stopped flowing through Babylon, there became this huge gap under the walls. And their armies all walked under the walls and came in. And they took his city from him in a night, on that night. He was, his life was demanded of him. He, he was sure, he was confident. He had the confidence of Harry Truman, right? Nothing is going to happen to me. I and this, I'm part of this mountain. This mountain can't hurt me. Until it came crushing down on him. That was his security. And, and, and the question that that demands of us is, what is your kingdom and what is your security for it? What's your kingdom? What are you living for? Is it your business? Is it your career? Is it your family? Is it your children? Is it your uh, legacy? What is your kingdom? What are you pouring your time and your money and your heart and your imagination? What are you pouring all those things into? And then what, what trust do you have? Why, what, what are your walls? What, what are you trusting to protect that kingdom? I, uh, I'll never forget, I was, when I was in college, I was part of the every ministry on campus. That's another issue for another day. But um, I had, you know, a different Bible study for every night of the week, and one of the weeks was Navigators. And uh, Navigators was really into uh, Bible study and, and scripture memorization. I remember that. And the, the chairman of Navigators, it may have been chairman of InterVarsity. I could be wrong about this because I was a member of both. But uh, one of them, the, the the, the leader, the national leader, is named Gordon McDonald. And, uh, you know, he, he was just internationally known as a, a spiritual Christian leader, and he was on Focus on the Family one week when J- uh, James Dobson was still doing those radio shows twice a week. And, and Dobson asked him, he said, where do you think Satan's going to attack you next? And Gordon McDonald said, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, you can never know that. I know he's not going to attack our family. My family's solid. It wasn't two years later when it came out that he'd been having an affair. His wife divorced him. His kingdom was taken away from him. He was publicly humiliated and shamed. His trust was in his own self-control. His, 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 his kingdom was a worldly kingdom and his trust was in himself and how sure he was that he would never commit the sins that so many had committed before him. His trust was in himself. Are, are, are we making the same mistakes? Do we have a false security for a worldly kingdom? If your children disappoint you, are you going to be devastated? If your husband lets you down, will you be devastated? If your wife says, I don't love you anymore, when your job, when your boss comes in and says, we don't need you here anymore, 
You know, I'll, I often think about this church and wonder how weird it's going to be when somebody else pastors it. How weird it's going to be when nobody here remembers me. That day's coming. Are we making the same mistakes? Are we trusting ourselves? Today is the day to give your kingdom to Jesus. Jesus says, if you seek first my kingdom, then all these other things will be given to you. Whose kingdom are we living for? Years later, Gordon MacDonald um, was called in to be the spiritual advisor for Bill Clinton after his uh, peccadilloes were no longer hideable. And it was sad because every time Gordon McDonald's on television, it would say, you know, and he was on the lot because President Clinton was getting a lot of photo ops. And so it would say, Gordon McDonald, adulterous pastor. How would you love that? CNN to be showing your biggest, most just biggest, most awful failure just to be splattering it on the screen under your face. And he was asked about it. How do you feel about being referred to as the adulterous pastor? And he said, you know, I don't really mind it. I think it would be a good exercise uh, if everybody in the church had a big name tag, but instead of name tag, it said adulterer, liar, idolater, greedy, porn addict, alcoholic. No more hiding. And he said, just as we walk inside the door, there should be a big statue of Jesus. We should rip that name tag off, stick it on him, and go on in. You see how he's changed? His kingdom is no longer protected by his ability to, to control himself. His kingdom is now based squarely on the gospel. He's no longer living for himself and his own reputation and his own kingdom, but he's living for Jesus, and he's glad for everybody to know his sin, because then they know how great Jesus is. And, and today is the day for us to live that way, for us to put our security squarely on him and receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Time is running out, but, but today is still today. Every day is still today. So let's put our trust in him. Let's make our kingdom his. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we just want to take a minute to uh, be thankful that you're here. We confess that we often miss that. We forget that. And we want to run to you. We've been spending our time building castles made of mud and, and the rain's coming and washing them away and we're sad we need to come to you Father and just stand there while you wash the mud off and remind us that our home is solid and warm and comfortable and that we can withstand any rain because it was built by you Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind right now the things that we need to do today so we don't wait a week or two 
before we reconcile, before we repent, before we confess. And Spirit, would you not only bring them to mind, but would you give us the grace to do them? Because we can't on our own strength. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.